Hello there, this is Jason Dees, and this is the Think Through It podcast. Think Through It exists to help people think through the big questions of life and culture. On the Think Through It podcast, we'll be talking with friends, cultural influencers, and forward thinkers about the things that all of us need to be thinking about. Today, I'm actually not in the Think Through It studio, but my friend and fellow pastor at Christ Covenant, Blake Rogers, is sitting in for me and having a conversation with another friend and the Dean of Boyce College in Louisville, Kentucky, Matt Hall. Matt is one of the best thinkers I know, and today he's going to be talking with us about one of the most difficult topics of our time, racial reconciliation. And the issue of race is so difficult. It's one of those topics where it's hard to even know where to begin. People have so many different perspectives on whether or not there is a racial problem. They have different perspectives on what the problem is and even more perspectives on the way forward. But as a student of history, Matt will be able to help us understand at least where we have been in this issue and maybe even where we are now. And as a student of the gospel, He'll be able to help us move forward. So I'm grateful that Matt and Blake are having this important conversation. And let's listen in and join them as we think through it. Well, today we've got uh, Dr. Matt Hall here in the Think Through It podcast. And we're going to be talking about a couple different topics. We're going to do one episode and then another to come. Uh, But Matt Hall was gracious enough to be with our church family this morning to preach Uh, from Philippians 2. I am personally indebted to Matt uh, from my time up at uh, Boyce College. Matt currently serves serves as the dean of Boyce College, which is the undergraduate school of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and so we're grateful that he is here with us today. Thanks, Blake. Good to be with you. Awesome. Well, our first podcast uh, today, we're, we're talking about racial reconciliation, and uh, this this is a particular topic that I feel like Dr. Hall has uh, put a lot of thought into. He's written a lot on and spoken to a lot in a variety of different fields and uh, in a variety of different venues. And so um, we're just going to jump in uh, to the conversation here. Uh, So Dr. Hall, when we're talking about racial reconciliation, what are we actually talking about? I think we're asking ourselves or we're forcing ourselves in our churches to ask the question as to whether or not the status quo that we see around us is one, um, normal, and I mean that in a number of ways, and two, whether it's just kind of uh, an eternal reality, so to speak, that we're, we're you know, doomed to almost. Uh, what I mean by that is I think American Christianity, if you've uh, been a follower of Jesus for any amount of time and you've kind of grown up in in North America, it's easy to just assume that God's design must be that churches be divided along the lines of what we call race. Um, that's that's shaped by history. There are historical factors mm-hmm. that account for our experience and why our churches are so have such a hard time with this and why uh, they're so divided. There, are, there's a ton we could talk about in terms of the history there. But at the end of the day, I think when when churches and communities of believers ask the question, what does it mean for us to press in here to to prayerfully labor to see brothers and sisters from dis- different ethnicities and races in our community um, be united in, in in the same congregation? I think that's the that's at the mm-hmm. center of the bullseye. There there are other conversations to be had about. 
uh, communities and, and, and social mm-hmm. structures and economics and you know, all kinds of things that, that go on outside of the church. Mm-hmm. But for Christians, the fundamental thing is how do we as a body of Christ in our local church bear witness, not just in word, but in the way we live life together in community, how do we bear witness to the reconciling power of the gospel mm-hmm. in Christ? So let me end it this way. The gospel of Jesus Christ tells us that we are reconciled to God vertically. That's So human mm-hmm. beings reconciled to God through the saving work of Jesus on the cross uh, when he takes on himself God's judgment uh, that's due to us. And so mm-hmm. through his sacrifice and his sacrifice alone, by faith in that, we're saved, we're reconciled to God. But the gospel's more than that. And racial reconciliation is is a dimension of this to say there's also a horizontal reconciliation mm-hmm. that has to happen. Mm-hmm. In the gospel, the good news is uh, that human beings who were divided and, and at enmity with one another, we can go all the way back to the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, um, and Pentecost is telling us part of this story too. There's, there's this new humanity that Jesus is forming for himself mm-hmm. from every nation, tribe, and tongue, um, and he's reconciling them to himself and to one another. That's the part we often yeah. miss. Mm-hmm. So before we talk about anything about politics or history, that's the, the biblical vision mm-hmm. is, uh, is that that's where the story of redemption in Jesus is going, and so it's supposed to start now in the local church. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, obviously, um, when we're talking about racial, racial reconciliation, there is racial brokenness. It's interesting to me that, you know, obviously in the Bible, we are introduced as humans as simply image bearers, uh, not people marked by race um, in in Genesis. And yet so much of our human experience, even as Christians, is seen through the lens of what it means for me to be a white male Um, and for others through the lens of whatever their races and all that that entails from a historical standpoint. Why is that? Why, why do humans struggle so much, even though we know, even as Christians, why do Christians struggle so much to, to see ourselves as simply image bearers? Mm. Well, I think that's a deeply human problem. So we, we can talk about the uniquely American experience of race and racism, mm-hmm. but the American story is just kind of part of a, a global human story that goes all the way back to Genesis 3. And uh, I mean, I think you just see from the beginning, human beings after the introduction of sin and the be- after the fall, um, we are a proud people. We are not just individually, but we love to gather together uh, on the basis of our human characteristics, our languages, our our uh, whether it's art, whether it's shared preferences, and we form little tribes. And, and tribes aren't entirely bad, mm-hmm. um, but but tribes get perverted by sin and by pride, both individual and corporate. And we like to tell ourselves uh, that we uh, were better mm-hmm. than some other group. So that you could talk about in human history, what we might call ethnocentrism, right? The idea that my ethnic tradition or heritage is better in and of itself. Mm-hmm. All rooted yeah, in pride. Yeah, and, and it goes back to that fundamental first sin of pride. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think even today, in our day and age, in the American church, in our local bodies, in our local congregations, um, it, that's there are a lot of things that get layered on top of that that, that account for how, how this looks in a local community and in a local church. But if you can kind of peel back the layers of the onion, racism at its root is about pride, and it's about the sin of partiality, Hmm. Uh, the idea that we would show preference 
uh, to one group over another, or not just preference in terms positively, or that we would withhold justice and righteousness from one group mm. uh, on the basis of race or ethnicity. Uh, super helpful. So um, obviously the government has a role to play in the, in the broader national spectrum uh, with making sure that uh, all races are treated equally. And so, um, but obviously we in the church believe it's not just a political thing. What are some of the mistakes and pitfalls that churches do make um, as they look at this issue and uh, leave it on the doorsteps of uh, the courthouse to try to run with? Yeah, I think I can speak particularly maybe to, to kind of churches in the majority white culture. Um, I think there are a lot of churches, and I thank God for it, that are waking up, so to speak, to God's heart for reconciliation. And we need to say, Blake, that reconciliation is bigger than just race. Uh, God's design for his church is that we would be reconciled one, one to another in ways that would break down walls of class, of gender, um, and, and race. Mm-hmm. So I don't, th- I don't think a local church can say, man, we're sold out for racial reconciliation. We want to see this in our church. And at the same time, turn a blind eye to how rich and the poor come together in a local mm-hmm. church or how men and women relate to one another now as brothers and sisters uh, fundamentally in the local church. So if, if a church says they want to get really serious about racial reconciliation, I don't think it's going to work if they're not serious, serious about the ministry of reconciliation at large. Mm. So one pitfall would be to, to kind of be selective in the ministry of reconciliation, to not have a comprehensive view of the local church's ministry as ambassadors of reconciliation, as Paul calls us. Um, secondly, I think for white majority churches is to think or to, to be blind to the ways in which our churches can really send the signal to our brothers and sisters of color, uh, hey, we want you here, but we don't really want all of you here. Mm-hmm. So let me explain what I mean, and I don't mean by that. Um, I think if you're in a majority white church and you're, and you're kind of part of that, that's your ethnic or racial background, there are probably things that you don't even see that you take for granted in the culture of your local church. They're not right, they're not wrong, they're not good, they're not bad, they're just, they're just there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so somebody who comes from a different ethnic or racial posture or background, when they enter into your church, there's all this stuff that's just kind of signals being sent to them. Not, again, not good or bad necessarily, but they're just different. And so, and we're not even at like gospel issues here. Mm-hmm, we're just right. talking culture issues and, and the way uh, authority is used and the way people relate to one another. And, um, and those signals that you may not even see if you're in the majority culture can be really, really challenging to a lot of our brothers and sisters. So we need to be able to ask questions. We need to be able to listen and not you know, be defensive mm-hmm. um, and, and to grow together in that. And that's gonna mean, by the way, that churches that want to pursue racial reconciliation, there's going to be a cost. I, I, I fear that in a lot of the conversations about racial reconciliation, we've kind of sold it as though it's going to be really cheap. Mm. And uh, this is just kind of the flavor of the month, so to speak. You, your church should sign up for this. Right. Instead, I'm telling churches, it's going to be really costly to you. Mm-hmm. It's going to mean you're going to have to sacrifice some sacred cows, mm-hmm. things that you think... And uh, maybe members. And maybe members who are just going to say, I yeah, don't want right. that. Um but it's so important because um, the way is the the way in which our witness for the kingdom in our communities is upheld for the gospel. It, it is certainly in the proclamation ministry of the word. What happens every Sunday when the Bible is opened and proclaimed? That's fundamental and primary. 
but the way in which we shape our communities as, as believers, our local churches, those say a lot. So you can tell me in your doctrine, in your preaching, that you believe that the gospel brings men and women from every nation, tribe, and tongue that were saved by faith and not by works, that were brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm-hmm. You can say all that in your doctrine and your preaching. But if your life individually and corporately says something else, then you're a hypocrite. Mm. That's how Jesus talks about it. Yeah. So I think we got a lot of churches, they don't even see it maybe, um, but there's there there are subtle forms of hypocrisy in our churches that can shape in where we say, you know what, uh, I don't think we're I don't think we want to go down that road. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just I would, I would encourage uh, along those lines churches that want to lean in on this um, just to be patient, uh, to be kind to one another, to listen well. Um, the, the the advice I give to to individual Christians and to churches I say there are three things I think you got to do if you're serious about this. Uh, one is to educate yourself, particularly those in the majority white culture. In this day and age, there's really no excuse for some ignorance on this. I mean, yeah. we're human beings and we're finite creatures, but you got Google. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there yeah, are yeah. great books out there. I mean, wh- white white evangelicals need to probably stop asking people of color to educate them. You can educate yourself a little bit on this now, mm-hmm. uh, and don't put that burden all on, on our brothers and sisters of color. Um, read, read good books, biblical gospel-centered books on these topics, and even good historical books. Second is to listen well. So after you've actually started to educate yourself, listen well. Ask good questions from the posture of, of a family, of, of brothers and sisters of color. Um, ask vulnerable questions like, what, what's your experience like at our church as, as an African-American brother or sister, as an mm-hmm. Asian uh, brother or sister, as a Latino brother or sister? What's that like in our church? Are there things you think that I'm probably not experiencing or seeing that you see or experience? And before you start getting defensive, just listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, ask them, what's it like to raise a family being in a racial minority uh, in, in our community? Is that, how does that work for you in your parenting? Is that, do, you, do you think your, your experience looks different than mine? And just listen. Mm-hmm. And you might be surprised at what you hear. And then third, and this is, I think, the most important, is pray. So educate yourself, listen, and pray. And I'm just... Um, I'm surprised, I shouldn't be because I struggle with this myself, how much work we put into these conversations, how much time and even right. budgeting and mm-hmm. effort churches put into it, but there's just this absence of prayer. Mm-hmm. And I think this is God's heart for his children, that we would be reconciled one another and that he'd be glorified in this kind of church. And if, so if that's his heart, that's his desire, then we should pray for it with expectation and anticipation right. that God will delight in doing this work in our churches. Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, obviously this conversation is necessary and needed, uh, but in a sense, it's kind of new, wouldn't you say? I mean, over the last several th- three years, four years, five years at least, this has become a hot topic that, in my experience and what I've seen, kind of started on the news and then finally trickled down into the church. What What is it to say, or what do you say about that? I mean, yeah. what does that say about us? Um, and maybe some things we just we're just blind to in terms of uh, uh, just blind spots yeah. until politics or news yeah. brings it to the forefront. In some ways, it's a very old conversation, mm-hmm. and I'm not even just talking 400 years in America. Sure. I'm yeah, talking yeah. like right. all like I said, Genesis three. But I think you're right, Blake. There's something that has happened in the last five to six years um, that our nation is seeing firsthand the complexities of what's sometimes called racialization in the way it shapes our everyday experience, relationships, and communities. 
uh, I think the election of President Obama was a big part of that. You know, mm-hmm. we all, regardless of people's right. political affiliation, it was a significant milestone in our national life when President Obama was elected. That that for a nation that from 1619 on, when the first slaves were brought uh, to the shores of, of, of the British colonies, uh, this nation has had a deep and very painful history of enslavement mm-hmm. and racial injustice. And so to see that was an incredible moment. And yet, within just a few years, we saw, uh, we saw a lot of uh, racialized violence. We saw young black men uh, and regardless of every situation is different and, and there are different perspectives on what the dynamics are at play in these, but we saw a series of situations where we just had this moral sense that this, isn't, this is not right. This isn't how mm-hmm. our nation should function and, and something's deeply broken here. And I think what you're pointing out is in the middle of the national or cultural moment that we were living in, there was this sense of where's the church in all this? Right. And why yeah. does it seem that we we have very little, practically speaking, in the way our churches actually function and live together. We seem to have very little to offer to the culture and to the world to say there's a better way. Mm-hmm. A- and our hope should be that our churches would be able to do just that, to say to the world, see how this is working, and see how this is not working, see this brokenness, see this enmity, this hostility. Let us show you a better way, the mm-hmm. way of Christ, uh, that when, when we're family, uh, as we are as brothers and sisters in the gospel, uh, then there's a better way, a, a, not of violence and hostility, um, but of peace and love and kindness, not of oppression and injustice, but of love mm-hmm. and compassion and righteousness. So I think some of that is going on. Now, I will say uh, there have been moments in, in the history of American Christianity where there was a window of opportunity. And I wish I could tell you that in those moments, and I won't give you a history lesson right now, I don't want to put your listeners to sleep, but there have been a few of those Mm -hmm. where there was a, sometimes we talk about a kairos moment. You know, um, when the New Testament talks about time, it talks about as a chronos, like the sequential development and unfolding of time. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it talks about it as a kairos time, as as an opportune moment. And there have been some of those kairos moments in this conversation in the the history of American Christianity. And unfortunately, often those moments have been lost. Mm. I, I think, to your point, we're in the middle right now of one of those moments mm-hmm. where uh, an unusual number of Christians in the majority culture are saying, we want to, in humility and by the grace of God, we want to move forward in a way that we, thinks, we think honors Christ and reflects his, his kingdom. Um, but the world, the flesh, and the devil mm-hmm. love to sow enmity and hostility among the people of God. Oh. So anything, now we got to contend for truth. So we will have to divide uh, on, on truth. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're, we're, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're united in the gospel. So it, when the, uh, the, the world, the flesh, and the devil love to sow discord and disunity. So if, if we're divided by things that are not actually central and essential to the kingdom of God, that's not from God, that's mm-hmm. from the devil. Yeah. And I think we're in a moment right now where we're seeing opportunities and we're seeing some incredible forces that are waging war against our unity in Christ. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, obviously, the the scope of racial reconciliation is massive, um, and I feel like a lot of times in the conversations that I've had with people, it's it uh, goes down the road of of being this big issue that is going this big ship that's going to take so long to turn that you kind of lose 
momentum uh, along the journey. Um, and, and I try to point people back to uh, individual accountability in this conversation. Like, yeah, your church needs to be involved in what it means to be gospel people, multi-ethnic multi uh, people who are about reconciliation across all lines of disorder and disunity. Um, but we as individuals have full responsibility and uh, capability of doing that today. And over time, um, hopefully, uh, as, as we as individuals make decisions uh, that are gospel-centric, uh, that are aimed at uh, recognizing the horizontal um, necessity that we as gospel people have to one another to, to be reconciled, um, as it is in the kingdom of God, that our organizations will change. I don't know if you have any advice for any of our listeners who are just reading or who are listening to this today and thinking through, uh, how can I be faithful in this area of my Christian life today? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the issue, and even the word right there, issue, it betrays some of this. Uh, it can seem overwhelming because of the scale, and we've got to move beyond seeing it as an issue to seeing it as a is people. Mm -hmm. When we talk about racial reconciliation, we're not talking about an abstract issue. You know, TV news anchors and bloggers and websites can pontificate and try to divide us over issues. We're talking about people. Mm -hmm. And so I would just encourage our, your, your listeners and, and uh, men and women who know Christ um, to think and to pray would help me to see this as a human question is mm -hmm. a theological and biblical question, not as a political issue. We're talking mm -hmm. about brothers and sisters made in the image of God, brothers and sisters uh, who were saved through the blood of Christ. Uh, so this, when you start to think about it in those ways, it just it becomes more personal. It's a family issue then. Mm -hmm. And when it's a family issue, you're hopefully you're a little more patient with your family. Mm. Uh, you're a little less thin-skinned with your family. You don't take offense at things with your. I mean, mm -hmm. you, we've all got family that are going to offend us, but we know well that's my cousin, so and so, and so. I love yeah. him. Right. So one is just to to move from seeing it as an issue to seeing it as people. Mm -hmm. Second is I think if if people feel overwhelmed by the 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 scale of this conversation and they wonder, I don't even know where to start. And I feel like I've got to, I'm expected to know all the answers. And if I step on a landmine, if I say the wrong thing, it's going to blow up. And mm -hmm. they just feel so overwhelmed by it that they almost want to retreat and not engage with the question and the conversation. So in light of that, I would encourage people to start local, um, start local on the conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, a lot of your listeners uh, live right here in the Atlanta area. So don't, I'm not too worried if, if, if a Christian in Atlanta doesn't have all the answers and on all the knowledge and the education about the history of race in every right. location in America. But man, what an opportunity for you to educate yourself about the history of Atlanta mm -hmm. and some of the incredibly painful uh, things that have shaped the way we experience life in a city like Atlanta and on the, along the lines of race and some of the incredible heroes of the faith that have lived and served and ministered in Atlanta. Um, there are all kinds of great uh, uh, stories of redemption mm -hmm. and renewal in Atlanta. And uh, so I think when you start doing that and you become a student of your own backyard, so to speak, a student of your own community, you're going to start to close the gap a little bit beyond just kind of this macro issue. And now it becomes a micro issue or mm -hmm. micro question of, okay, what does it look like for our church in this, not just even this whole metroplex, but even in our local community? Right. You're gonna start to see areas where brokenness exists because of racism and the history, and you don't, you don't have to, you don't, you're not gonna give an account to God for what happens in 
you know, LA or Kansas City or Wichita. Right. But you are accountable as a minister of the That's gospel, right. and every one of us, uh, as, a, as a son or daughter of Christ, is a minister of the gospel in some sense. You're gonna, you are accountable for your community mm-hmm. and how you, how you reflect and show the love of Christ there. So I would, I would do that. I would one move from issues to people. Two, I would, I would go local. Yeah, that's super helpful. Well, Dr. Hall, thank you for having a conversation with us uh, about this. Um, I know I've learned a lot. I'm always encouraged by being around you and with you, so thanks for taking time today. For Dr. Matt Hall, this is Blake Rogers encouraging you to think through it.